You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. All right, Mark, it is uh, Sunday night, our, our new recording time another here on the Sunday Beltway night. Briefing. Another Sunday night, another Eagles loss. September 20th, the Eagles yeah. went down. and Another and Giants loss. Mark, tonight we have uh, Caitlin Martin, our friend and colleague with us on the Beltway Briefing. Caitlin has been on many times before. And we, I mean, what can you say? An upgrade. An upgrade from Schultz. Oh, stop it, guys. Caitlin. Caitlin. The bar is low, but we're <laughs> confident you can get over it. <laughs> so, all right. What a weekend. Mm. What a weekend. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, obviously iconic, um, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, what your politics are, uh, a terrible loss, um, and and obviously comes at a pivotal and interesting time. Caitlin, why don't you start? Give us your take on the events of the weekend and what you think it means in the context of the presidential race. Well, Howard, Mark, thanks for having me on this evening. Um, I will say that I'm 44 days before quite a large election and the news of Friday evening of um, Justice Ginsburg passing certainly hit hit, hit, sent shockwaves around the city. Um, There were audible gasps at the restaurant that I was out at on Friday evening. And I know that there's been a lot um, said over wait, the Wait, that's news. You were out at a restaurant <laughs> on was. Friday evening. Wait, outdoors. Yes. Outdoors, socially distant, of course. Okay. Um, but no, you can, you can feel a little bit of it. You can certainly feel a shift in the city. I think what I'm concerned about is some of the rhetoric I've seen over the weekend from, from Democratic leadership in really um, focusing on saying things like everything is on the table if Trump does nominate a replacement. And, you know, in preparation for this call, I was taking a look and and, and really, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution. The president is vested with the power to nominate and with the advice and consent of the Senate to appoint Supreme Court justices. And I think it would be a dereliction of duty if he did not nominate a replacement for Justice Ginsburg. I think that um, we've seen, you know, fighting, we've seen some fighting words over the past weekend. And I think that um, let's let's get a nomination. Let's mourn the passing of Justice Ginsburg. Let's get a nomination. And let's see what happens with the Senate. And let's see you know, let's hold a hearing and let's let's see what happens. But it is his duty to nominate a replacement to the Supreme Court. Well, I agree with some of that. Let's mourn Justice Ginsburg. I am mourning Justice Ginsburg. I know you two are as well. She was a giant and did as much as any living American to promote equality in this country. We've lost two heroes in recent weeks, John Lewis and now uh, Justice Ginsburg, and the country is poorer for it. So I, I am mourning her loss. I think whichever side R or D picks up a point here or a point there, Howard, in the political 
games to be played. The country is certainly worse off for this, not only because we've lost a great American, but because an election that was already hyper-partisan and, and uber-intense has become more so. And as Caitlin said, the rhetoric is off the charts on both sides. I, I think it's just a sad development. What does it mean for the presidential election, as you asked? Uh, wow, we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, it, it could cut any which way. But I, respectfully, Caitlin, you are an upgrade from Schultz. We never had him cite the Constitution in four years of the podcast. I offered him my copy several times. He never took me up. So I applaud you for that. But this is, of course, not about the Constitution. And I, I do dissent a little from all of the rhetoric about hypocrisy. You know, it, the Republicans refused to seat Merrick Garland because they had the power to refuse, and they exercised the power, and they stopped him. They are going to seat Trump's nominee because they have the power to do so. And that's what this is about. It is not about constitutional obligation. It's not so simple. I know you're an originalist and you read the words. Uh, Justice Scalia would be proud of you. But this is about power. And I think what you're hearing on the Democratic side is the expression of, of some frustrated power to fight what is, what is coming down. Kind of ironic because four years ago, looking back on it, you had a vacancy. They wouldn't seat Merrick Garland or they wouldn't vote on Merrick Garland and wouldn't give him a hearing, give him a hearing um, which personally I didn't like. But um, and but it didn't motivate the electorate enough in the fall to get Hillary Clinton a victory. And it was like, when you look back on that election, nobody says, oh, well, you know, the Supreme Court vacancy played an enormous factor. I mean, uh, it's just, it's maybe on the Republican side, you might say that, but on the Democratic well, side, not so much. You know, traditionally, Republicans have been more motivated Supreme Court voters than Democrats. I don't think that's any longer true. I don't think... That was true in 2018. The Kavanaugh thing spiked enthusiasm and turnout on, on both sides. And, and what we have here in terms of the presidential election and, and the Senate, the election for the Senate, don't forget, um, what we have here is uh, a health care issue. That's how this is going to go down. I think it's very tricky for the Republicans to put up uh, their nominee. The president said that uh, the nominee will be a woman. I think it's tricky to put up a nominee and solicit a pledge to overrule Roe v. Wade without really driving people off the sidelines who might not be enthusiastic about Joe Biden, but are very 
very committed to the choice issue. This is about uh, abortion and it's about the ACA. And if Democrats can present the issue in those terms, it's it's far from a uh, conclusion that this is going to be good for one side rather than the other. I totally agree. I think it's it's definitely going to be a great get off the vote drive for Democrats. Um, but I think my question, the question I would pose to you, Mark, is: Do you think if the situation was reversed and we had a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate, that they wouldn't within forty four days before the election they wouldn't put forth, nominate, and confirm a justice? I, I hope to hell they would. I I wonder though. I we we haven't played that way, and we should, and and we will. And I would, if Howard were the president, I would encourage him. Promotion. (laughs) I we've held every other position in government. I would encourage him to nominate and to confirm. Absolutely, but not because it's policy. Of course. Well, of course. I I hope so. I hope so. And Howard, how many times on this podcast do you say elections have consequences? And in 2016. President Donald Trump was elected and yeah. he was given this authority. And I just think that it's disingenuous for you know Leader Schumer and others to be out there this weekend saying everything is on the table, threatening to eliminate the Why? filibuster. It's ironic. Right. But Why? it's it's ironic that a president who mocks federal judges openly and who um is is anti-judiciary on a lot of levels is the one appointing three justices to the Supreme Court. It's just the irony is um, is striking. Elections have consequences, of course, but the election that had these consequences, it's actually uh, a series of them. It was uh, 2010 through 2016, building a Republican majority in the Senate. That's what that's what this is about. And it's about power. It's not even about the court. Mitch McConnell doesn't care how the court decides this or that issue. He cares about remaining majority leader. And he obviously thinks that this is good for his embattled senators. Donald Trump doesn't know, let alone care, what the court decides. He wants to keep his job so he doesn't get uh, prosecuted for another four years. And he thinks this is good for him. But let's not pretend that this is some noble obligation handed down by the gods and that Trump and McConnell are servants of the moral arc of the universe. They're just trying to keep their jobs. I don't know how to follow that up, Mark. (laughs) Anything else you guys want to talk about? Well, I was. I, I, actually, I have something. When are yeah. we going to see um, candidate Joe Biden's supreme, potential list of Supreme Court nominees? I think uh, the, the order is first Trump's tax returns, then the uh, okay. Biden Supreme Court nominees. I hear they're working on a, on a deal on that. Great. It would be good to oh. see those before, before voters cast their no, ballots. That's fair. By the way, by the way, that's fair. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see. I want to see if Steve Cozen's on the list. (laughs) So that may change my vote. (laughs) Mark. So, so 
Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins have both come out and said they do not believe there should be a vote before the election. So they need two more. Right. I guess Romney's a possibility. Who else, Caitlin? Who else may flip? I could see Romney, though I do think he's keeping his powder dry, which is sort of what Leader McConnell urged everyone and a, and a dear colleague to, to his Senate colleagues on Saturday morning. Um, we'll see where Romney comes out. I could see him weighing in. I think there's been some speculation about someone like Cory Gardner coming out against it. I disagree. I think that that does nothing to energize Cory Gardner's base. He's obviously up for a tough Senate reelection against John Hickenlooper in Colorado. I just don't see him making a political calculus thinking that folks are going to vote for him as opposed to Hickenlooper simply because he makes this decision and comes out against um, nominating someone before the election day. What I will say, Howard, is I was really reading and, and, and parsing through the, the carefully worded statements that both Collins and Markowski put out. They were clear that they didn't want to see a nominee push through before election day, which it would be it would be incredibly rare to have hearings and a, and a vote in 44 days. I think it's happened in that short of a period of time historically. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I'm curious what her thoughts are on a vote in the lame duck. And she, both Collins and Murkowski didn't really, they hedged a little bit. They didn't seem to give a conclusive answer um, either way on, on whether they would be okay with that. Yeah. The, the lame duck, I agree with you. I don't believe Susan Collins is not going to vote for Trump's nominee in the lame duck. I think she's just trying to avoid voting, casting that vote before the election. But the lame duck gets really, really interesting if, if, if a vote hasn't been taken before then, because I'll throw another curveball at you that a, uh, a friend of mine who knows more about the Senate than the three of us ever will, he worked, uh, there's Ted Kennedy's lawyer on the Judiciary Committee for uh, many, many years. And what, what he pointed out to me is that uh, Mark Kelly's election is a special election. Special election. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be seated. He, well, or she he'll or be, he, he'll be seated. when he beats her, he'll be seated if McConnell seats him. It's not and, that simple. They, they have to go through a process of certifying votes. So they're thinking that the earliest he could be seated would be like the the very end of November. It'll take a little while. Thanksgiving is, yeah. is what I, I was told. But, but if there has not been a confirmation vote by then, then four becomes three because we've picked up a seat. It's and, looking that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming, of course. And and then, wow, then it just gets more interesting. I'm going to give you a sleeper vote against um, confirmation before the election. Lamar Alexander. He came out with a statement tonight, he already Mark. Said, yeah, he yeah. came out with a statement um, clearly saying that it's, it's the president's role and it's his right. I actually uh, looked at it right before... No one should be surprised that a Republican Senate majority would vote on a Republican president's Supreme Court nomination, even during a presidential election year. Constitution gives senators the power to do it. So he he came out pretty affirmatively that um, he, he will okay. be voted to confirm both Senate Republican gonna, and Democratic. Mark, how did the how did the Democrats walk walk the right line on this? Because 
there are a lot of people in the country who feel on the right side of the aisle like they went too far on the Kavanaugh thing. I'm not saying they I'm not saying that they did, um, but there are a lot of people who are very fired up and resentful. No, I, I agree. And, I and so how did how did the D's walk the line between doing enough? But if you know you're going to lose, uh, it's hard to even say it. But well, like I said on this podcast in the Kavanaugh hearings that I thought we were making a mistake. We were going to lose. We were not going to turn enough Republican votes. And all we were going to do was inflame the base on the other side and maybe offend some people in the middle. And I think that's what happened. I, I hope we don't make that mistake again. I think we avoid making that mistake again by, by not making it an ad hominem assault on the nominee as though she is corrupt and evil and unfit to serve. It's about the naked exercise of power to jam through a nominee in the dying days of an unpopular presidency. That has to be the line. And what's at stake is not some abstract principle, it's healthcare. If this becomes a healthcare issue, it will be good for Democrats and bad for Republicans. If it becomes character assassination, no matter how deserved or not, it's going to be good for Republicans and bad for Democrats. So we got to take a higher road on this. Caitlin, you sent us a screenshot before we started recording tonight of Chuck Schumer doing a press conference with AOC about this. What I didn't hear it myself, but what what did they say? I mean, like, why? And how is that good, Mark? So I, I was sitting at the dinner table with Professor Alderman watching CNN. I'm surprised Caitlin had it on, frankly. I guess it was, was Fox showing football or something. It was on commercial. I was split. But, they were replaying <laughs> Fox Morning Sunday. But but I said to Sue Ellen, ah, you know, I don't need to hear from Howard about this. <laughs> so, so here we are. Uh, why? There is a why. There is a method to the madness. Uh, there is a a case to be made that if this becomes a health care, uh, an ACA and abortion issue, it will bring off the sidelines younger men and mostly women who have been uninspired by Joe Biden and might have otherwise stayed home, but are fired up about health care. And she's out there to bring them out. That's the gambit. The bet is that they they ain't coming out for Chuck Schumer, but maybe they'll come out for AOC. This is all turnout. Nobody's changing their mind about anything. It's all turnout. And that's the bet. One interesting thing about Justice Ginsburg is how I mean she she was iconic and she was Mark for people of our generations and I mean certainly a woman of incredible stature, but I was talking with somebody today who's, um, who's younger 
about 20 years younger than I am, who said, Howard, like for our generation, she she was especially women in our generation on the Democratic side of the aisle. But and in general, she was it like she she I said, well, why? And they said, well, Clinton was president when uh, when Clinton was president. That was kind of the first president that they can remember in their lifetimes. And this was such a huge appointment for for Clinton. And and obviously, all the movies and yeah, everything that's been done. But... RGB Hollywood and... loves her, Howard. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was much. I did not appreciate the magnitude of her importance until all of the notorious RBG stuff came out. And my kids went wild for it. And and I think you're right. I think a generation below mine, I, I appreciate you putting us in the same generation. Uh, I, I said generations, Mark. <laughs> I didn't exactly do that. But, I was being yeah, charitable. But that's why, all kidding aside, that's why I, I think it's uh, way too soon to tell which way this cuts. I think... There are a lot of women, mostly, there are a lot of Americans, mostly women, mostly younger, certainly younger than you and I, Howard, who who think that what is happening with a nomination and a vote 40-some days before an election, by the way, it's not 40 days before the election, we are in an election, people are actually voting already. I think I think there's a chance it it brings out some people who are otherwise uninspired, but but this really pisses them off. Maybe, Caitlin, what do you think about this discussion of packing the court? There is this rhetoric out there that if the Republicans go ahead and do this after denying Merrick Garland a hearing and a vote, that if Biden wins and the, and the Democrats take the Senate, that um, the Democrats should, quote, pack the court. And that all, only requires, based on everything I've read, a simple act of Congress to change the number of justices and then put nominations forward. So I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think the reaction would be? Well, I'm just glad that they're finally admitting it now. I think with with after the actions of Friday evening, we've got you know Jerry Nadler, chair of the House Judiciary Committee, came out and said if McConnell and the GOP force a vote during the lame duck session, the incoming Senate should immediately move to expand the court. Congressman Joe Kennedy said if Trump holds a vote in 2020, we will pack the court in November. I'm sorry, in 2021. Schumer this evening, alongside AOC, who was using rhetoric, AOC was using rhetoric such as you're playing with fire, McConnell's playing with fire. She had very, very sharp words. And Schumer said very clearly, everything is on the table. Speaker Pelosi this morning on the show said, we will use every arrow in our quiver, also alluding to potential impeachment hearings between now and the election. So I'm kind of glad to see, I know this has been a big concern and this is a lot of what as, as folks make the case for why it's so crucial that Republicans maintain their Senate majority, there are three big concerns. One is that the Democrats will move immediately to eliminate the filibuster. 
Two is that they'll pack the court by adding more justices. And three is that they might move to make D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. We had a vote in the House on D.C. statehood earlier this year, and it would give the Democratic the Democratic majority um, and additional seats. And I think that this has been something that's been a concern and it's been a rallying cry of the Republican Party and some of the key Republican senators up for re-election this cycle on the importance of this election. And now we're hearing them say it loud and proud this past weekend. So I think when voters go to the poll on November, go to the polls in November or vote by mail, these are things that they should be thinking about as they make those determinations. Well, as, as you said, Caitlin, and uh, I know you know, you hear it live uh, and in person, or at least live virtually in the COVID world from a lot of your friends uh, on the Republican side. This has been McConnell's stump speech for months. McConnell's stump speech has been exactly that, the filibuster, the court, and statehood. So it's not like the like Schumer and AOC got exposed tonight with their radical plans. It, it's a confirmation of what uh, McConnell has been selling. And they are three different things, the filibuster, the court, and statehood. I don't think that they get tied up uh, all that neatly in a bow for for the voters although that's how how the republicans have been pitching it but but it goes back to what i was saying a second ago and i think there are a lot of people on the democratic side who who think it's about time we heard this it's power it is simply an expression of the democrats willingness to exercise power in the same ruthless partisan way that the republicans have does it happen? Doubt it. Doubt it. Because you can't, Howard, pack the court without getting rid of the filibuster. You for sure are not getting 60 votes to pack the court. Right. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by a mile that we're getting rid of the filibuster in a Democratic-controlled Senate. So it it is more rhetoric, I think, than reality at the moment. But I will point out, Caitlin, do you have your constitution in front of you? My pocket constitution? Yeah. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I but I have it uh, in the room I, next door. I actually, well, we're not on video, so I won't bother holding mine up. But I do have mine right here. You will note that the constitution gives Congress the obligation, to use your word, to establish the federal courts. And there is no question, none zero, that it is completely within the, con the constitutional prerogative of Congress to expand or contract the federal courts, the Supreme Court, the appellate courts, the district courts, and they do it all the time below the Supreme Court. So it, it the Constitution is... Uh, it's a living and breathing document, Mark. Well, it, I just find it funny that uh, when we read one provision that says the president should nominate a new justice, it's sacred. And when we get around to Congress doing its constitutional duty to establish the court, suddenly it is some nefarious and, and evil scheme. It's all about power. What we are seeing is power it being played and and I hope 
I hope that the Democrats, and I think we are, are going to be smart enough to play this one better than Kavanaugh and and to deliver the turnout we need on Election Day. Having said that, Trump's going to get another justice. We're not going to be able to stop this. Here's my prediction. He gets another justice. Uh, this is just a fun prediction. He had, we have a very close election that eventually goes to the Supreme Court later this year, and his own justices vote in favor of Joe Biden for president because they know he's such a menace. A hundred percent. And and you know who's going to light a cigar to celebrate that? Mitch McConnell. If, if McConnell, if, 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 Caitlin, if McConnell's the majority leader, he, he would help push Trump out the window. Oh, a hundred percent. He's yeah. all about Mitch. He's... Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. And he's done. He doesn't want to have to deal with this lunatic any longer. I think Schultz is the only one who's still rooting for him. It's uh, they're not going to ask you who you're voting for. Kate. There are plenty of people rooting for him, Mark. I mean, there are no, plenty of, of people rooting for him. But that's my that's my prediction, John Roberts. <laughs> you you might as well write that vote down right I, now. Right. He wants that guy so far out of town. It's right. like, right. So we yeah. will see. Well, day after the election, week after rather, the uh, week after the election of the argument on the Affordable Care Act, there may be eight justices. There may be nine. Well, I don't know if this was the October surprise in September, <laughs> um, but it obviously profoundly impacts the dialogue and the debate in this country. And it is going to be fascinating to see this play out over the next 40 plus days. This is just going to be an absolutely crazy period for this country. And we'll keep talking about it. Caitlin, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, we're excited to have you back. And Caitlin's intimidating. She has... Our listeners can't see because they're, they're, of course, audio, but we're looking at each other. I, I see Caitlin with piles of notes there. She, she has all sorts of source material. I like to do my homework, Mark. She's smarter than you and me, Mark. We know that. Yeah. We know that. All right. Great uh, talking to you guys. We'll be back next week. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Great. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.